Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 135 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm interviewing Zipporah or Zippy Livne. I met Zippy last year at the PHC conference. And although she originally booked in to be interviewed towards the end of last summer, we've had to reschedule uh, several times. And now we're nearly at this year's PHC conference. If you haven't booked your ticket for the PHC conference, there are some great speakers and I'm really looking forward to the speakers and seeing lots of people that I know and reconnecting with the people that I know and meeting new people. To get your ticket for the PHC conference, go to phcuk.org. If you have booked your ticket, be sure to come up to me and say hi. You will spot me pestering guests for the podcast. If you have a great story to tell that you think listeners will be interested in, then let me know. Anyway, let me tell you about Zippy. Zippy Livner is a registered nurse and an in-fact certified food addiction counsellor and licensed in the sugar assessment tool. She is a co-creator and co-chair of the first international sugar and food addiction professionals network, and she helps clients recover from sugar and food addiction through her GPS program. Zippy struggled herself for many years with sugar addiction and obesity and has been living sugar free and helping other sugar and food addicts for over 25 years. She studied and trained with world experts in sugar and food addiction and in 2018 decided to leave her management career in the pharmaceutical industry and dedicate herself to helping people who struggle to control or moderate sugar and hyper-processed foods, detox from these foods and live in sugar-free recovery for the long term. She lectures on food addiction to medical teams in universities, schools and to the general public. She teaches her GPS program online in group workshops, a special program for couples and one-on-one counselling in English and in Hebrew. So let's go and hear from Zippy. Welcome Zippy to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Jackie. It's fabulous to be here. (laughs) And we always start with where in the world are you? Right. So I live in Israel. I live in the northern part of Israel, not far from Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful area. Um, I am a mother of four and I have three grandchildren. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and 
Yes, so that's where I am from. But I do my my clients and the people who come to my program, I work mostly on and come from all over the world. Fabulous. So tell us how you got started on your journey. And it's around food addiction, isn't it? So tell us how you got started in that. Well, of course, usually things like this start from a personal story. I'm a nurse and I'm a certified food addiction counselor. I I, I I think I was born addicted to sugar because even as a young child, they tell me stories even before I could remember that like there was never any amount of sugar that could suffice for me. Like it, my sister and brother used to say they didn't want to hold my hands because they were always sticky. They called them like Tippy's <laughs> jam hands. So I, a sugar was a big deal to me forever and always. But I think my food addiction really took off after I was a married, I was a young mother with small children. Um, and I began gaining weight. And then it wasn't just like eating a little bit too much sweets, it was already binges. And it was, um, you know, like buying lots of junk food for the guests who never saw it and never tasted it. And, uh, and then eventually this just like compulsive eating all the time. Like I never felt full. I never felt hungry. I just felt like I need to eat all the time. And I was already well on my way to, to obesity. I was overweight. I was a nurse. I knew like I used to laugh, like joke that I could teach a dietitian what good nutrition is, but like I couldn't apply any of that wonderful knowledge that I had for myself. So, um, one day I was just, you know, I heard this, a dear friend of mine discussed that she went to a program for food addiction. And it was like that she's addicted to food, like, like drug addicts are addicted to drugs. And it was like somebody lit a light bulb on in my head. It was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm a junk food junkie. And when I started looking for a solution to my addiction, and stopped looking for a solution to lose weight, that's actually the first time in my life that I actually managed to lose weight and keep it off long term. Um, I did it, eventually I found a 12-step program for compulsive overeating, and which it for me it took, and I began abstaining from the foods that I knew trigger in me the addiction. Uh, which is this loss of control and cravings. And even though I know better and I knew the caloric content of every single chocolate bar I stuck in my mouth and I, you know, I just couldn't stop. So when I actually abstained from these foods completely and looked at them like a heavy smoker would look at cigarettes and who want to quit, right? Who quit smoking. Yeah. Um, that was actually when I was able to not only lose weight and maintain it, but also to have peace of mind around food and not to have these this constant obsessive chatter and 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 thinking and planning and worrying and 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 you know around food like food became wasn't this like huge thing that was like constantly there and i was like sort of beside the rest of my life and just like you know having this constantly with me and um that i think that freedom that, you know, that from the obsession was much something that I didn't, you know, I went there because I wanted to lose weight. <laughs> but that was probably the best thing that happened for me. But what I saw that some people come to the 12 step programs, which is a peer support, right? There's not any professional guidance there. And 
in, you know, I, I'm a nurse, so I know a thing or two about, you know, about treatment and patients. And I, like, I knew, I saw that some people could really use some professional guidance. Um, and I said, like, why aren't there people who treat food addiction professionally, just like other addictions are treated professionally? And now this was over a decade ago when food addiction now, you know, this is, there's a, there's a huge community a growing community of professionals who treat food addiction, but then there was very, very little. There wasn't anything in Israel. And I started researching the science behind food addiction and it opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah. And um, at that time I was working in pharmaceuticals and marketing in pharmaceuticals and I was climbing the corporate ladder, but I was also researching food addiction and traveling the world to meet with who were then the pioneers of this profession and learning you know, what I could from them. Eventually a course opened up, which a certification course, which I took um, in order to be certified. And uh, four years ago, I opened the doors to my business. I left the world of pharmaceuticals and my main focus today is on professional treatment of sugar and food. You know, it's, it's when we call it food addiction, but what it, you know, the science is coming out, it's sugar and hyper-processed foods that are that the foods are have an addictive nature to them. So and so I created a program called GPS program, which is an acronym for the three phases, which I'll explain later. But um, yeah. and uh, I do it online in Hebrew and in English. And uh, this is my passion. And 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 that's what I do. Excellent. So I I think I was I'm just going back to where you said about been constantly obsessing about food and I think and I've mentioned this before on the podcast that we spend I don't consider myself a food addict although I, I might be but I think I'm probably not because I quite easily I can have something sweet and then just completely go back to normal the next day or the next meal or whatever so I don't think I am an, an addict but I can relate to the fact that obsessing about food and constantly thinking about food and how much energy that takes up you know brain power and thought power goes into obsessing about food and to let go of that is really freeing isn't it it really really is and some people can do that while moderating with you know sweets or certain foods but I'm here, I say, and I, I'm not against moderation for everyone. I think there are some people who can once a week or have a cheat day here and there or whatever. But I'm here for the people who have tried it and tried it again and tried it many, many times and have consistently failed at it. And then I say, maybe it's time to try something else, which is abstinence from foods that trigger uncontrolled eating, right? That trigger the addiction. And many people, find it actually the people who have failed to moderate or to eat just a little and then be you know and then just go back to whatever it is they're doing but you know let's say low carb right um then the people who don't manage to do that many of them will find if they try it that it's actually easier to abstain or not to have any than to try to have some and control that yeah and when I'm when I'm working with clients, that is one of the things we cover: um, moderation versus abstaining. 
And I say to people, you have to find out for yourself where you are on that scale. So I'm, I can moderate for the most part, I can moderate. Um, whereas other people just cannot. And you, and I think you have to know yourself. And if you cannot, then you, you know, maybe you need help. And obviously you're the person that can help them. Yes. And, you know, in order, if they're, you know, not everybody who likes sweets or who eats a little more than they intended is necessarily addicted. There are really specific symptoms and signs for addiction, which are, you know, which are described it's for, for the disorder that's called substance use disorder, which, which is the name for addiction that the psychiatric associations, whether it be the World Health Organization or the DSM of the American Psychiatrists, they describe the different symptoms. And I can tell you that I have clients who have one-to-one all the symptoms of addiction. And, you know, now, of course, like in any, like in any disorder or any behavioral problem, there could be other things as well. But I say, you know, if it's an addiction, if there's, you know, if, and, and this is the thing that we're also like, um, I co-founded and co-chair a growing group of international food addiction professionals network. We call it the Sugar and Food Addiction Professionals Network, eh, which I co-founded and co-chair with my colleague, um, Molly, Molly Pineshab. And, um, and one of the things that we say is that, you know, if it's an addiction, it has to be treated through addiction. We're also working so that this will be recognized as a officially as a substance use disorder. Um, but um, even even people who treat addiction, right? So the the easy many times the easiest way is just to get off the drug, right? That that for many people that's what's needed in order to. But it's not enough just to physically do it. It really has means changing the way you think about food, the way you feel about food, the way food makes you feel, right? And it's, it's a, also a lot of inner work to really change the conversation, that inner dialogue with food and change the relationship with food. Mm. So those are the things that we work on. You know, that's those are the things that in my GPS program, I work with my clients in parallel. So to the, it- to the you know, to abstaining from trigger foods. Yeah. So are there some symptoms that you could mention now that might get people thinking well maybe i am or maybe i'm not absolutely so the there are certain really classic symptoms for addiction would be which would be cravings right which i always am well this is a very important and i'm so glad you asked that jackie because there's a really big difference between urges and cravings okay everybody sometimes has urges for some food that they love (laughs) and maybe they eat it when they shouldn't or you know because of some emotion or something like that but when somebody has an urge for a food they still can choose to say no they can choose they, you know, it, it'll come to, they'll say, maybe not right now. It's not the time I've had already enough. And maybe, you know, or whatever it is, or I, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm moderating or I'm not eating it in during this period of time. And they, ha- they can choose to say no. When it's cravings, the, 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 the pull is so big. It's that it's basically that people will tell me I didn't even want it. And I ate it. I didn't even enjoy it. And I ate it until it was gone right? This like copious amounts. So 
cravings is one of the classic signs but another one is tolerance where it gets worse over time where i can say on myself right where if maybe it used to be i would have like a chocolate bar and that was it then it became a chocolate bar and a bag of doritos and afterward and then it would be like these binges and then the frequency of the binges became you know more frequent and 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 so it's something that gets worse over time another another um classic symptom of addiction is withdrawal symptoms and this is once i read um a dietitian who wrote an article that said food addiction doesn't exist because there are no withdrawal symptoms but i can tell you as somebody who has over 25 years of experience helping people recover from this addiction that that is absolutely not true and there are real withdrawal symptoms and they can last sometimes a while and if people are not prepared for them then they break and they think that it's not working you know they they try they go off sugar and they feel terrible and they say oh you know i can't go off sugar i get sick when i go off sugar but if many times it's just withdrawal symptoms and another one i would say that is a really a red light is if somebody knows that it's harmful for them and they continue consuming for example someone who is diabetic right and consumes large amounts of what i call crappy carbs right these yeah. carbs that raise sugar very quickly or or have lots of fructose and 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 um worsen insulin resistance even if it's not somebody who's diabetic somebody who is let's say pre-diabetic or is at high risk for diabetes and they they know that they're eating in a way that they are putting themselves at risk for diabetes and yet they cannot stop. Mm. Right? Yeah. So they know the consequences. They know it's it's something that could be even dangerous for them and they continue. I had a client and it's not a matter of knowledge or self-discipline. Addiction is something that happens in the brain. And I, you know, I had a client of mine. She is a highly intelligent woman. She studied naturopathy she's as she runs a business she's like general manager of a very big business and she's diabetic and she came to me she was eating sugar like there was no tomorrow or her sugar levels were sky high they wanted to hospitalize her her doctor wanted to hospitalize her and then like we managed to do it together like to get her her levels back down to a, a you know of course uh, together with medication but also to get her eating under control again her sugar consumption you know get back to getting off her drug yeah i suspect that i mean i suspect that i'm probably a person in the minority and that most people are addicted to sugar i i would guess oh, and ultra processed foods the research is showing that maybe about 20 percent of the adult population um might be like between 10 and 20% of the adult population. But when you come into high risk populations like obesity, um, then it goes up to higher. Um, but you know, in the same way that not everybody who uses addictive substances, like not everybody who smokes becomes a heavy smoker, not everybody who drinks becomes alcoholic, and not everybody who eats, you know, hyper processed or sugary foods necessarily becomes addicted to them. It's the question is how much it is, you know, how much suffering is it causing, right? Is it something that really, really you feel like is an op somebody feels that this is a huge obstacle in their life and yet they can't overcome it. So 
these are the things you know that that uh, yeah would, would could be red lights there is actually which i could give you um a link to there is a a um short questionnaire that people can answer to see if they think they might have a problem with addiction like it's a screening tool called um craved which our friends jen unwin and uh heidi guyver have um developed and i could send a link if people are interested they can um they can answer a quiz yeah so if you send that to me we'll put it in the show notes and then people can just click through from there excellent yeah thank you i think it's important to point out to people that do feel this addiction that as you're talking they're saying yes that's me and and maybe i'm wrong so you can correct me if i'm wrong is that it's not their fault and i think that's important to if you if you agree i think it's important to point out that it's not their fault and that a lot of it comes from the ultra processed foods that have been made to be addictive um and they spend billions and billions of dollars to create the foods that are addictive and then even more billions probably on marketing it so i think that's the combination of the actual food the smell the taste everything Ab- with the absolutely marketing. absolutely that is one of the main main messages i give in just about any talk i is that it really isn't a matter what happens in addiction is that basically first of all you're absolutely right jackie billions of dollars have been spent to aggressively market hyper processed foods that have been engineered engineered specifically to make people eat more than they intended to make them crave them desire them and it they are addictive they have been proven to work on the same parts of the brain that other addictive substances are affect and the pathways in the brain and just like every addiction is not it's not a matter of um it's not a moral issue this is a biochemical imbalance in the brain and the body and i heard one doctor say this so well i said the fact that people first of all the move more eat less is not working right and the harm that this move more eat less message has given is that basically if somebody is overweight or maybe like became diabetic because from the way they ate right or any other harmful ways of eating then it's because you're a lazy you know a lazy fat pig basically yeah. like they're saying it's your fault and it's on you it's on you that you're pro- you have that problem and it's on you to solve it but in the meantime our environment has is is toxic to healthy eating i tell my clients i say anybody who wants to eat healthy today has to like go against the tide yeah and you have to you because today the only things that are available and cheap are foods that are going to make you sick or fat or both right yeah. so so it's our environment has become actually against healthy eating and a obesogenic environment and once addiction takes hold it basically hijacks the brain and then it's the the power of choice not to have is actually taken away it's like stolen from you by this like by this process that happens and the only the way the best way to fix it is really to you know to to abstain just to stop using but that's it is easier said than done and it really does 
some many times take professional help to get through that, you know, especially the first phase, but it really can be a life process. Um, just like any other, you know, just like abstaining from any other, uh, you know, addictive substance, except that this is legal. It's aggressively marketed to babies and it is socially the most acceptable thing to do. I mean, like today we have been so brainwashed about these hyper-processed foods that people have come to believe that it is unhealthy to eat only healthy food. Mm. Yeah. Right? who eats only healthy food and never eats any unhealthy food, it's like not healthy for you. That's not normal. But that's the way people ate until 100 years ago. That's the way we bi we're biologically meant to be. So, you know, somebody who says, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat hyper-processed foods, it's like people, you know, if you say, I quit smoking, somebody would, hey, Jack, you know what I mean? If uh, I would say, I quit drinking, hey, sippy, good for you. But if I say, I quit you know, I quit sugar or I quit. I don't eat hyper processed foods. Like what? You're mad. What, are you crazy? Like that's uh, how can you do that? It's too extreme, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So it really is a, you know, that and that comes to the other point that I'm passionate about when it comes to food addiction is that no wonder that people relapse, right? If we live in, in an environment that is so working so much against abstaining from these addictive foods no wonder that relapse happens yeah yeah because it's everywhere and and uh you know i don't know what it's like in israel but here if you go and buy petrol you walk down this whole aisle of chocolates and sweets and crisps you know all the the really hyper palliative pal can't say it, say it. <laughs> the <laughs> It's, oh, late. Yeah. it's late for me for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's even later for you all the foods that are super addictive that are easy to eat when you're in the car are all down the aisle that leads to the to pay for the petrol and they make it so that you have to go round all the aisles so they they quite often zigzag round the aisles to actually get to pay even though there's nobody maybe in the queue you still got to do this whole loop around the whole shop and it's like i don't want anything i just want to pay for my petrol thank you very much yep yep i call them drug stations i like that drug <laughs> for food addicts they're drug stations i tell them like don't go in there like pay with your credit card outside and don't go in there um because there's nothing there for you yeah and um yes but that's exactly it. You know, when I um, I took a training in um, in twelve step um, twelve steps for professionals, and um, of course, the people who who train these, you know, who um, teach these trainings are recovered drug addicts many times. And I came to him and I said, "Think if you lived in a world where you quit drugs and you go to work and there's lines of cocaine near the coffee, and then you go." And to a meeting and everybody's popping pills and injecting, you know, and getting high and stuff like that. And everybody's like, you know, hey, don't you want to get high, Rafi? And you're like, no, no, I don't do drugs. You know, and everybody's like, what? Why are you high? It's so much fun. It feels so good. Why you're not? And then you go to visit your mother and she's like, Rafi, I made for you exactly the mixture of drugs that you love. And, you know, and I made it specially for you. You're not going to have just a little. And this is the kind of world that people who are addicted to food have to learn to live in. 
and this is not an easy thing to do. So the people who do, that's why I always say like, you know, first of all, I always remind people that abstaining from addictive foods doesn't mean being perfect, right? You, you can succeed to recover from sugar and hyper-processed food addiction without being, and still by being, not by being perfect. You can do it with imperfection as well. The question is like, you know, just, it doesn't, where we, this is where I say we maybe have to stray a little from the classic abstinence of classic um, addiction or treat, treatment, where is that if you, you know, somebody had a bite of something, it doesn't mean it's the end. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're doomed now for, you know, to, for obesity and metabolic disease and obsession around food for the rest of their lives. It is possible to, you know, I say that's like, I don't eat sugar, but it doesn't mean that I'm perfect in the way I eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that, and, and to be able to sort of like, you know, know how to, within the lines, how to move veer right and left, right within the lane. Yes. And, and to get to the, the point where you, where you see it's happened and agree that it's okay. This has happened. Now I need to get back. You know, you exactly. have to find your way. You have to have a mechanism to get yourself back on track. Exactly. And that's, I say, what I say to people is like, if something happened, you know, you had a slip, even if you blew it, like, you know, it's, it's not the end, just like brush off the dust, take it as a learning experience. What did, what did you learn about yourself from this experience? And then just get back on track. That's it. It's just like, move back, do the, you know, when I, when I, my clients go through my program, I say, you know, take the tools that you've learned and the thinking that you've done and all the things, you know, review them to get yourself re-motivated and back on track and, and, and just get back. It's not, you know, you're, that's like, that's releasing that diet mentality, right? If you broke your diet, you broke your diet. It's broken. But yeah. if you're not on a diet, nothing broke. Yeah. Right. And nothing, it's not a matter of fixing or, or breaking something that something's broken and can't be fixed. It's, it's a matter of a way of life. And when we choose a different way of life, yes, there are some, you know, there are ups and downs and sometimes things happen and that we didn't intend for them or we, you know, we mess up and, uh, and okay. So you learn from your mistakes and you move on. Yeah. Yes. And I, when I'm working with clients, I always say in the past, you've probably been on a diet and you stick to it the whole time and then something comes up like a wedding or a party or a weekend away and you say to yourself I'm just going to come off for of this event whatever that is and Monday I'll get back to it but Monday never you never get back to it because you've been so deprived and you're probably hungry and undernourished and all the things that that make it sustainable that aren't just go straight out the window yet when you eat and I'm um, in a low carb way, you easily come back to it. You know, you can have that day, so long as you're not addicted to sugar. You know, if somebody is like me, that you might come off for the day or the two days or the week or whatever it is, and then you go back to it. And that's the difference between a diet and a lifestyle change. And I think it's what you're saying is for some people, even with an addiction, 
that still happens. You know, life happens. You just have to have the tools to get back to where you were. And I'm not and I'm not advocating that people with a food um, addiction should come off plan. But if they had, you know, they sometimes it happens. Yeah. That's that's right. So what they I say is somewhere and, is and they might have been given a food that has some sugar in it or has something in it and they didn't even know about it. That happens, too. Um, but, you know, I say it's it's um, it's a matter of even people who are really convinced they can moderate and are really doing their best to abstain. And so, first of all, I do I do advocate for my clients specifically. Um, the ones who are addicted, that they have to remember that their addiction goes with them on vacation. It comes with them in the plane. You know, it comes with them to the wedding. <laughs> you know, it's there. It's not yeah. like, you know, and the problem with addiction is that when you, you know, when you consume the things that trigger the addiction, it is then you, it's like sort of playing the like Russian roulette with your brain because you never know when that urge is going to cross that red line into cravings. And then there's a loss of control. And then it's, it, and then it's really, really hard. It's much, much harder to get back. Yeah. So the amount matters if it's like, you know, if it was just a little or if it was like a whole box of cookies, right? It matters if it was just like this isolated event or like a whole week of like, you know, just like going off the rails. It, all these things matter very much. Um, because, because once, you know, the brain, I, I always say like you can't unlearn a, the addiction to food like addiction right because it's in the more automatic parts of the brain where we we just can't like forget it and we're using our conscious brain to basically overcome that in that automatic part so one of the ways is definitely to abstain because then biochemically the brain is much more balanced and mm -hmm. then of course it's to learn new habits and new behaviors and new ways of thinking about food but having said that, you know, so the, the goal is abstinence for, for life. Yeah. But towards the goal, sometimes things can happen, things can go off plan. And I say like GPS, right, which is my program, just like a GPS, like in a car, right? If you go off track, that doesn't mean, let's say if you go, I don't know, you have, you know, you're driving, you get lost. Does that mean like that you just like, that's it. You like, you don't go you just like stop where you are. And that's it. No, it's like, you know, you, you put on your ways and you, you, you know, find the new way to get there and you go back. Or if you're driving and you cross a, a, a straight line, you know, it's not a dotted line. It's a straight. You go into the lane, you did something dangerous, right? And you got away with it, <laughs> you know? So what you press on the gas and go straight into a headlong into a tree? No, you like, you know, Hold the steering wheel a little tighter, concentrate more on the road and keep driving. And that's what I say. That's what I, you know, tell people who are, you know, who have made abstinence a lifestyle, then that's, you know, that's the way to do it. And I, there, it is possible to abstain for the rest of your life. You know, there, I know people who have years and years of back to back abstinence who have done it perfectly clean. But I have to say that statistically speaking, it's not most people. But it, everybody, you know, but I, but that's why it's very important to know how to prevent relapse. And if it does happen, how to deal with it so that it's not the end of anything. It's just like get to get back on track as quickly as possible. Yeah. So would now be a good time to tell us about GPS and the three stages? Yes. So my GPS program, 
um, which the goal is, I call it sugar-free recovery. Um, it's basically a three, three phases to this program. So the G is for groundwork, which is the education. People who have addiction should know what that means. What is addiction? How does it work in the brain? Because this really helps to make your own choices for food because, you know, beyond, let's say, because that brings to the pillars, to the P. GPS is an acronym for groundwork, pillars, and strategies and actions. So the pillars, the four food pillars of the GPS program are the four food rules, right? Or principles, we could say with a P, right? The four food principles are the things that if we do them, that, you know, if, if we follow these principles, then they keep us from relapsing into food addiction. That's no sugar, no flour, eating set meals and, you know, and living life in between meals. And, uh, and the last is personal triggers, which could be food behaviors or certain foods that don't have sugar and, and flour that maybe are a personal trigger to specific people. Um, you know, for example, for me, nuts, are, even natural nuts are a trigger. I can't have a few almonds. Yeah. And it took me a long time to like come to terms with the fact that I have to, you know, I have to part with nuts because I don't know how to eat them in a controlled way. But once I did, I had more of even more of that freedom around food. Like I realized it was taking away a lot of my peace of mind at some point. I realized that I, it was, you know, I didn't have peace of mind around nuts. So I gave them up and, you know, and what I got was so much better than like the taste of a few almonds. So um, so that's an example for personal triggers or people who have certain food behaviors like eating in front of a television or Netflix or, you know, or coffee with something, you know, having a cup of coffee and you have to have a little something together with your cup of coffee. All these like conditionings, um, behaviors or like I say, certain foods that are personal triggers for people because for some people, um, especially going low carb, nuts can be a wonderful solution right for a snack or you know something to take with you when you travel or what have you so it's a really a it's it really makes the food much more personalized the food plan yeah so those think... are the four food principles the four food pillars um and then we have the strategies and actions which is changing the mindset changing the conversation the inner dialogue around food and learning tools and strategies to prevent relapse to live in a world that is so you know, so um, not working for people who have food addiction, right? Working against, trying to how to how to navigate, you know, situations like that. How to go to a wedding? How to go on vacation? How to go on a plane? Like, you know, when you have to make so these are things, you know, that that we work on in the third phase of the program. Yeah, great. And you said that you. You can do it in Hebrew or in English. Are, are they two different? Obviously, two. You don't do them at the same time. I'm guessing. Oh, well, I have I have Hebrew speaking clients, of course, from Israel. Yeah. Um, and I also run a group workshops in Hebrew. Um, and right now in English, I have a digital mini course, which is people who want to like just know how to prepare and what the first steps are to going off sugar. So I have a, a digital mini course of how to you know the how to um how to begin a sugar detox. Um, it deals with the withdrawal, you know, especially the initial and how to prepare. Um, and I also um, work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, um, mainly online. Um, 
and there's lots more to come. <laughs> and one of the things I'm passionate about is, is also like diabetes, um, you know, and I think that with obesity, a lot of in, in um, a lot of the discourse around food addiction is connected to obesity and overweight, you know, because it because people who are addicted to food have have a lot of trouble losing weight. And usually the reason that they'll come to food addiction programs is because they want to lose weight and maintain that weight loss. But the truth is like one, I think that people who have diabetes or are pre-diabetic and are non-compliant, you know, are having trouble keeping on a food plan that will help that will, you know, stave off the diabetes and will keep it at bay or you know where or for example diabetes type 2 where you know it can be treated with nutrition but the people who know what they should be eating and and just can't stop you know i think their food addiction also is a huge issue that hasn't been addressed as enough so this is also one of the things that i'm very passionate about and people should follow me cuz some cool stuff is going to be happening in that area ah oh, yeah cool Tell us for you, because um, you, I'm sure, identify as a food addict. What does a day of food look like for you? Well, um, actually, my my um, weight, my food has changed a little bit quite recently, because um, if we talk about personal triggers, I realized that. Well, first of all, I, in, I'll tell you, I recently did a personal trial with a CGM right? A, a continuous glucose monitor, mm -hmm. which was a very interesting thing for me to do. This was part of my research into like diabetes and diabetes treatment. I said, if I'm sometimes, you know, I have clients who I recommend to them to use a continuous glucose monitor, then I should know what it, you know, how it feels to yeah. do that. So I did a two week trial. And one of the things that came up was that first of all, one of the things that came out, I eat real food. I eat only real food. I, um, the food plan in the GPS program, which is what I follow, is I, I call it low carb light. Like we do eat legumes and we eat vegetables that maybe for people who are on a real like a ketogenic diet would consider them too high carb. But we um, we stay within like the low carb range. But, you know, I would say between uh, we are not, you know, I there are some people who do wonderful on a ketogenic food plan on and certainly for it for those people but it's not necessarily something that we go for for ketosis in in my program so um the range of foods that they can eat are 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 quite big range but it's no hyper processed foods no grain no gluten grains and no very limit like limited whole slow you know slow release carbs what i would call yeah. right well, so, most of um, the grains, I guess. Most yes, of the grains. Most of the grains and no flour of any kind because once something is, you know, is pulverized, pulverized. into a small powder, then, you know, it's, it, it's, it's going to get absorbed quickly. So what I, one of the, the wonderful things that I, you know, the conclusions for the CGM trial that I did was that my blood sugar is very stable over the course of the day, which means I'm doing it right. Um, and it was wonderful to see that. But I noticed that's, the, the certain like certain foods that are a little more carbohydrate rich, like let's say legumes, right? If I ate them in the morning or if I ate them at night, it made a difference hmm. in in the in the blood sugar levels. And um, then my colleague told me that 
at night we metabolize, you know, our insulin metabolism work doesn't work as efficiently as during the day. And many times I so, would eat late at night. So are you saying that you had a better lower response if you ate them earlier in the day than later in the day? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and then I realized that I was eating these late, very late meals that weren't doing very, you know, I wasn't feeling very well after them. So today I would say like, I will usually eat like two meals per day. Um, sometimes I'll have a snack um, that will sort of like, you know, if I'm needed, especially if I'm traveling that day or what have you, besides those two meals, um, they'll usually consist of you know, healthy proteins, um, eggs, fish, chicken, meat, um, and lots of vegetables. I am a big promoter of a lot of vegetables, um, which I always recommend. And this is a tip for your listeners. I always recommend to eat the vegetables in the, at the beginning of the meal, because that's when we are hungriest when the food tastes best and when we eat fastest. So when we use those natural tendencies with vegetables, we're like getting the best bang for your buck when it comes to like nutrition. So yeah. I always recommend that start with the vegetables and then move on to the rest of the stuff. And that's quite different to what a lot of people say, where they say prioritize the protein, eat the protein first. Well, the protein usually is not a problem to eat, <laughs> at least for me and for my clients. You know, usually the protein is the tastier part of the meal and people have a hard time sometimes eating vegetables. And I am a big promoter of vegetables because I think that it gives satiety um, in the stomach, especially. So um, so I'll eat um, and. Um, and then. Um, for I don't eat much fruit, and that's because, like, in in the GPS program, we do um, limit carbohydrate foods like fruit and um, like whole whole grains like quinoa or buckwheat or legumes, not legumes, but and we also moderate fat. So um, so I will have I don't I don't measure my food. I don't weigh and measure my food, even though some food addiction programs do promote that. Um, because for most of the clients, I find that once, once the, what I call the biochemical repair takes, it takes hold, people naturally start eating less. Um, so, so for breakfast, I'll usually have like some eggs or sometimes I'll have some chickpeas, you know, a bowl of chickpeas and vegetables. And then for lunch, I'll usually have some other kind of protein like chicken and, you know, string beans or like some kind of, usually I'll have like a hot vegetable that I'll just like throw into the oven with some olive oil and salt. And I eat quite simply. I rarely eat in restaurants just because it's just not tasty anymore. And also I know that like the food that I prepare at home is such higher quality than most restaurants that I just, it's just not fun anymore to eat out. So we much prefer a great steak dinner at home. <laughs> so uh... I, I'm with you on that. And I used to like eating out a lot. And now I'm really, if somebody says we'll eat out, it's, I will go for the social event, but actually I'd rather eat at home. Absolutely. Like I, like I know they're using bad seed oils and yeah. they're using, you know, and even like, you know, even the, not, 
almost nothing is homemade anymore in these restaurants. They get everything prepared from, you know, even the mom and pop restaurants, many of the things that they get are like prepared in factories and they bring it to them, you know, so it just, it just took all the really, you know, I'm very, but I eat whole food. I eat real food. And I really do believe that the different ways of eating a a food plan needs to be personalized. And I, but I would, I really do believe with from vegan to carnivore, there's one thing that everybody agrees on, right? Which is stop eating or moderate extremely hyper-processed, ultra-processed foods, right? And sugar. And this is something that everyone agrees on. And I really believe that once people start eating real food, food that human beings were meant to eat, then their body already will tell them what they prefer. Yeah. You know, their body will start talking back and you can start trusting your body to say what it needs. And, and you know, and whether, and uh, of course, after so many years of experience, many times after the assessment of my clients, I can recommend to them a food plan, like tweak their food plan so that, you know, to help them get to the place where you know, it feels good for them with their food preferences and the things, the food that make them feel good and feel right. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think real food is is absolutely key. And and the other thing about restaurants is they all use microwave ovens. Now, mm. I don't like food out of a microwave oven. I don't have a microwave oven. I haven't used one in probably eighteen years or something. Don't have one in the house, and. <laughs> and I really don't like food in the microwave oven, but I know if I go to a restaurant, I'm going to get seed oils. I'm probably going to get some hidden sugars. And I'm going to have uh, something has been put in the microwave oven, all these things. And it's like, hmm. What for? Yeah. When I can eat so well at home. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. So, um, yeah. So, but um, it's interesting because my, my eating has become simple but it like it's so delicious I, I enjoy my food and i always tell my clients you will enjoy your food <laughs> human beings are meant to enjoy food food is meant to be a pleasurable experience but there's a difference between enjoying food and getting high on food right or eating food for just for that hedonic pleasure food should be what gives us what sustains us right and that's body and soul not just our body it's not yeah. just, it's energy for our body and energy for our soul. It should be energizing us. And if food is is making you feel obsessed or t- and tired and hungry and, you know, and, and craving and, and, and feeling bad all the time and bloated and, and like, you know, and, and with reflux or whatever it is, then, you know, that's not, that's not, even if that food tastes delicious, it's not, you know, you is not the real way food should feel and so what i tell people is if you really think you do have an 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 addiction if you try abstinence and you really commit to it you'll see that it feels so much better than any of this junk tastes and also you know when i talk about biochemical repair it's also the taste buds that go through biochemical repair Mm. and once people learn to taste real food right then you know like 
once in a very, very blue moon, I'll like have some Diet Coke. But even that, like I stopped because it just, it takes horrible now to me. Yeah. It just does not taste good. And I used to love it. So <laughs> so with people with um, sugar and ultra processed food addiction, how does sweeteners, both artificial as in Diet Coke, the aspartame and saccharine and the natural sweeteners, how does that affect people? Um, most, um, when I teach my clients to abstain from, uh, sugars and flowers, I also encourage them to, um, to really get off all sweeteners, including the ones that are maybe considered today safer. Um, because that just the actual, the intense sweetness is also addictive. Mm. And when the palate, you know, and then so I, I, I have many clients who are heavily addicted to diet coke or all these like diet um, um, foods. And then again, it, I, I teach them to abstain. I, I sort of like look at sweeteners as um, like the sort of like the methadone of a food addiction. Okay, whereas many times it's actually a useful tool initially to as a crutch to get off the sugar the real stuff like the hard stuff you know but i do encourage people to eventually come to a goal of, to stop using sweeteners another thing that i really warn especially um, low carb uh, people who are addicted to food is to be careful from all these keto desserts right like i i, I always tell my clients you know if you're looking for a low carb recipes and you go on to these like keto uh, sites, you know, the first thing you're going to see is like how to make keto brownies and how to make keto ice cream. <laughs> Those are going to be like the first recipes that pop up. And these are things that also these are still what we call hedonic eating, this eating just for pleasure. This is something that food addicts have to be careful about because many times that can trigger craving and addiction. So we really, really, you know, um, these are things that for example, many people who will do keto can, can, you know, enjoy that once in a while. But for, for many food addicts, that can be many times people who like try keto and don't lose weight on it. It's because maybe they're overeating on these like keto desserts and things mm. like that. So, um, so these are places, for example, that would be maybe a different for someone who has sugar and food addiction, right? And is following a low carb food plan. Yeah. And how about things like berries? Is that, uh, would people still need to avoid that sugar as well? No, when it comes to fruit, I think it's a very personal, that's where it comes in, like with the personal triggers. For many people, they can handle fruit in, in moderation. And for some people, fruit does become a trigger. I stopped eating fruit, even though I was able to eat it in moderation. But what I can tell you is that I know that sugar affects my mood. I'm very sensitive to sugar how it affects my mood. When I was a young mother and I was in the sugar, I would have screaming fits at my kids. And I thought that it's, you know, that's how my mother was. And, you know, and I hope that the love I give them in between, you know, it makes up for, you know, for the times that I fly off the handle and lose control. And when I went off sugar um, and I started abstaining from sugars and, and, and white flour at the beginning was white flour, um, all of a sudden I realized that months had got by and I had not like had this like crazy screaming fits at my kids. I stopped yelling at my kids when I stopped eating sugar. Yeah. Me and too. Me too. Oh, 
Yeah. And over, like, I just realized that it really, really changes my mood. And it, it made, like, I just became so much calmer and I wasn't irritable all the time. So over the years, though, I realized that I'm very sensitive to the sugar. And I um, had stopped eating fruit for a while. And then I went back to eating fruit, like in moderation. And, um, and I started feeling like bad and nervous. And then I realized it might be the fruit. So I stopped eating. I do eat berries. I do sometimes. But I think that's really like, that's where the personal, um, the personal tweaking comes in. Some people, a lot of food addicts can have fruit in moderation. Some can also have certain grains in moderation, you know, and they're okay. Um, but it's in the, it is the, let's say from the food groups, um, it is the carbohydrates that we have to be wary of and, and, you know, and, and look at carefully, mm. including fruit. So mm. I do encourage my clients to stay with the fruits that have less sugar content and not to go to the like high, you know, especially things like, well, dried fruit is candy, you know, and, but, and, um, like, so things, you know, the really sweetened fruits like bananas and grapes and those that, that are high concentrated, I usually tell them at least in the initial phase of abstinence to like, you know, to be careful with them. And I know this question is going to be a, it depends and everybody's different, but for, for somebody that's addicted to sugar, they recognize it. They maybe they come on your program about how long does it take for them to things to calm down and to to find that balance in their brain where they're actually being nourished and not overeating right. and all things like that that's actually an excellent question and besides what you said is absolutely right of course it's a personal thing but there are certain milestones um within sugar-free recovery what i call sugar-free recovery um the first is the first 30 days, which is when mostly the physical symptoms come, which is can be like headache, fatigue, irritability, but there's also emotional. And this is also actually one of the things that is not talked about enough is the emotional withdrawal symptoms, like irritability. And, and sometimes people get a little sad or they cry easily. And I always tell them, you know, if your kids are buggy, you know, it like the first month of the sugar detox is like I tell them, if you get sick, if your kids, you know, are making you crazy, you want to divorce your husband, you want to quit your job because your boss is like driving you around the bend, it's not them. It's the withdrawal. <laughs> you know? And just and it'll it'll pass. That's so, you know, and this is uh, and I really tell people the first month to take it easy. For example, when it comes to exercise, I tell my clients not to exercise in the first month to like rest, get let their body use its energy for the detox because it's very hard to do both. So I tell them not to intensely exercise for the first few weeks. So the first month is really like the initial and usually around three weeks or, you know, in the third week, it's of course, sometimes it happens faster, sometimes it happens slower. But usually people who are diligent about, you know, the four food principles, in around the third or fourth week, they start feeling much, much better. Um, then you have the 90 days, which uh, I would say is when you know, you're still either the still the initial recovery is setting in where it's starting where that's like a critical time to start forming new habits. And and it's, you know, and though that's also a time when I still tell people to 
not yet experiment too much, you know, with um, with foods that are commonly triggering or, or addictive. Mm -hmm. But after the first 90 days and until the first year, the first year is really critical because the first year is like, you know, is like the first Passover, you know, with no sugar, the first Christmas, the, you know, the first Thanksgiving, the first, you know, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's these like new experiences and really learning how to navigate life, abstaining from hyper-processed foods. So, um, I always say that the first year is really a very important year. Um, and I think once, once the, you know, people get over the first year and towards like the second year, it already starts becoming really a way of life that it's, it doesn't take as much effort and things are already, you know, people know how to handle things and what to do, what they, where they need to be careful, where they can let go a little and that type of stuff. And that's, so I would say the first year is really, but, you know, I, I've, um, I've um, heard that it can take like for the brain to actually heal like four to five years. Yeah. Like it, it, this really is a life process and, and it should be seen as such. Yeah. And do you help people who relapse as well, don't you? Oh, yes. I have, I have a lot of clients who come back to me, you know, they've gone off, you know, they've gone off plan and they're having trouble getting back on and, uh, you know, we'll work together for a limited, you know, for a certain period of time in order to get back on. I also really encourage my clients to use support groups. There are support groups online on Facebook. Um, there are 12 step programs. There are also other peer support programs because a support group can be very important, you know, people who have a common problem and also, you know, just to feel like you're not doing this alone. So I really, really encourage that. Great. So is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you want to tell anyone? Um, just I would like to say, you know, I would like to maybe repeat to people that if if you, you know, if you've been trying and not managing, it's not necessarily because you don't have enough self-discipline or, you know, enough backbone or what, there's no bone like, you know, missing from your back. <laughs> It, it could be just, you know, a biochemical imbalance of the brain. And it, it's also important to know, like, I don't, um, you know, it, it's important to talk about emotional eating because that's definitely one of the things that come into play when it comes to disordered eating, right? Or eating disorders. But, but um, um, it's also a biochemical thing. It's not just an emotional thing. So a lot of times people come to me and say, you know, I, I'm an emotional eater and they think that they have very serious psychological problems just because they can't control their food. Yeah. When they're very capable people otherwise. And many times when they, you know, when they do the program, which focuses on food addiction, like all the psycho, the psychological problems get better. Yeah. Right. Having said that, people who do have, you know, trauma or have a history of e eating disorders or have, you know, or have deep emotional issues will have to deal with them together with the food addiction, like together with the food addiction treatment, because it, it is a package deal. We, you know, we, we have our food and our brains and we also have our emotions and, you know, and our life experiences and what have you. But yeah. what I... I guess the, the main message that I want to give here is a message of hope. 
I think no one needs to feel like they're doomed forever to uncontrolled, you know, to being to uncontrolled obsessive eating or obesity or metabolic disease. Um, there, you know, and if you haven't found the right program for you, look for another one until yeah. you find the right one. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the person that's running it that will make the difference. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So how can people get in contact with you? Right. So um, my English site, <laughs> I do have a site up in Hebrew, which people can sort of like just Google translate, which is um, zlevenet.com. But my English site, sippylevenet.com will be I it might be up and running by the time this podcast is published, hopefully, because it's going to happen very soon. Um, so you can look me up there. I do have a Facebook uh, page, Sippy Leave GPS to Sugar Free. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel with every Monday I um, post a vlog with Sippy's weekly message. There's tons of content there on my YouTube channel. Highly recommend to check it out. And um, I, of course, will leave my contact details with you, Jackie, so you can put it on your in the show notes. But for those people that are just listening now and they have, they're not looking at the show notes, spell your name for them. Right. So <laughs> my full name is Zipporah Livne, um, but people call me Zippy, just like it's sort of like Mike to Michael. Um, so it's Z-I-P-P-I. And Livnez, L-I-V-N-E-H. Excellent. So before you leave us, could you give us your three top tips? Right. So I guess the first one is what I mentioned in the podcast is start your with your vegetables. Mm -hmm. That will make, make you enjoy the most. Uh, that oh. would be my first. Yeah, that would be my first tip. The other thing is... um. Whenever you travel, make sure you have what I call emergency rations with you. Because when we travel, you can't just say it'll be okay. Like so many times the food that I've taken with me in my bag has actually like saved my behind. So um, I definitely recommend um, doing that. And I would say that my third tip, my third tip would be, um, this is my motto. If you, if you, if you plan to succeed, then you'll succeed in planning. It's very important. I know people love, you know, we, we sort of want to have this, like, this, um, fantasy of like being spontaneous about food and also eat well and, and healthy. And for people, especially people who have addiction to food, um, we have to remember that it, it planning is really, really critical in order to, to make sure that I have the foods that I eat yep. right available to me. So this is definitely something that um, I would say is. It sort of links ahead. In, it sort of links in with your, your second tip, which is when traveling, take emergency rations. It's the same thing. You, you often have to just, you know, that's part of the planning is if you're, and eating, of course, yeah. if anything has a label, read it the small print yeah <laughs> yeah thank you so much for staying up late and joining me tonight thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast jackie it's an honor so um yeah and um to everybody out there enjoy 
healthy, real food. Thank you. We've had many guests over the time who have spoken about food addiction and sugar addiction. And although Zippy said that it affects 20 to 30% of the population, it sometimes feels like there are more people affected by addiction. During the podcast, I couldn't think of the word hyperpalatable. I was saying hyperpalative, which wasn't right. Um, and it just wouldn't come. But immediately afterwards, it came straight to me, of course. There was so much in what Zippy said that I think will resonate with money. I loved her analogy of the drug addict living in a world where there are drugs everywhere and drugs being offered by friends and family. A drug addict or a cigarette addict would have so much more trouble if they had to live like sugar and hyper-processed food addicts have to in our world today. It was just last weekend that I was mentioning at a family dinner how I don't enjoy eating in restaurants as much as I used to because I find it tastier to eat home-cooked foods. And I also like to know what's going into my food and that it doesn't contain sugar, wheat, grains and seed oils. So Zippy's comment about eating out less really resonated with me and I, I know I mentioned that in the podcast. And I thought it was also interesting that Zippy said, as the body heals and goes through biochemical repair, also the taste buds go through a biochemical repair too. I'd never really considered that before. I mean, we know our taste bud, our tastes change over time and we become more aware of the sweetness in food, but I'd never really considered it a biochemical repair. So that was really interesting. Anyway, if you want the show notes, they can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 135. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter, our handle is fabulously keto or follow us on instagram fabulously keto one did you enjoy the show let us know you listened by tagging us in your insta story or instagram post using the handle fabulously keto one and the hashtag tfkp all the links are on the website and in the show notes If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, 
healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>